Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey guys, it's March 7th, 2017. Tonight's show will be about food and beer pairings, subtitle Cicerone versus Sommelier. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Thanks to our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. So, all right, we got some special guests in the house. Let's go around and everyone introduce themselves and uh, tell us what your qualifications are for being on the show today. Oh, I get to go first, huh? Yes, you do, buddy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Heather McReynolds. I am the social media correspondent for Guinness. I've been working in the brewing industry for uh, the last 11 million years now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Hey, it's Chad Walsh, uh, sommelier at Agern, Nordic restaurant in Grand Central Station. So he's the sommelier person. All yeah. right. Nice. Uh, hey, guys, this is Chris McClellan. Um, I work as a Guinness Brewing Ambassador uh, and uh, as a certified Cicerone here. He's the Cicerone. All right. And uh, my name is Dan Delaney, and uh, I have two restaurants, Delaney Barbecue and Delaney Chicken. Fried and he's chicken the food guy. That's right? it, yeah. He's also the guy that doesn't like like uh, beer. So, you know, th- <laughs> this show came up because for several years we've been hosting an event called Brisket King of NYC. It's coming up mm-hmm. April 19th in Brooklyn. And, and Dan, a few years ago, was our judges champion. Slaughtered. Which he carried with yes. pride. He yes. really did. And the time when, when you came in and did that, Suddenly, it was like brisket was really taking off. You know, there, it was. There, there had been like the old school barbecue in New York, which was like going back to, to the 90s. And I don't want to name names, but there was an old kind of like imagined southern barbecue scene. Sure. And then kind of about five years ago or so, when you were coming out, Mighty Quinn's Hometown Barbecue. Just around the, really uh, across the whole country, there was a huge pop in, in barbecue. Just, you know, like before it was cupcakes or whatever, and then barbecue became a thing. And that's every, everybody just wanted to like eat tons and tons of red meat. I, I don't know. I don't know how maybe this is like has to do with the moon and the stars. I don't know why these things happen, but it did happen. And people went nuts. And we were just it was like the right place at the right time. But how did you start? Because I remember you, you had come up with your own little video series. I know you're definitely interested in food. And when did you start pushing brisket? I, uh, you're, you're correct. I was making videos, hundreds of videos about food and traveling the country that got me down South, got me into Texas, living in Texas, living in new Orleans. And I didn't, I like, I enjoy eating barbecue, but I love the culture of barbecue. I loved like hanging out with these people, watching them, these, the like gnarly hands, like just reach in and grab embers and just, you know, slap the meat around. Stub and they, they just knew what they, it was, it's it was stubs barbecue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So so then I would come up to New York and I would just practice at like some shitty amateur level with like a crappy smoker illegally on my balcony in Brooklyn. And then I, and I would start to do it. And, and as soon as people stopped getting sick from it, then I would start to invite people over, more people and do supper clubs and this and that. And then I was down in Texas, got a huge smoker, brought it up to New York City and didn't know what to do. And that's when we started Brisket Lab, which is how we started, you know, the practicing and the learning of, of making barbecue at a large level. And that was great. It was educational for, for many of us. And, uh, dude, it's always great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure. And we did Thank a show you. with Dan uh, last fall where he talked more about his roots and origins. So we're not going to go there today, yep. although I, we, we're going to talk a lot with Daniel. So you guys, um, you know, Cicerone and Sommelier, you know, we're going to talk about brisket and then fried chicken. You give us a little bit of your own backgrounds and about how, some of your first experiences, kind of like a one-on-one of beer and food or wine mm-hmm. and food pairing. Chad, you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in restaurants. My father owned restaurants on the eastern shore of Maryland um, and was in, in D.C. restaurants before that. I always did it as a kind of means to pay the bills. I was going to college here in New York, uh, working in restaurants. And then it, I got the wine sort of flipped the switch. I mean, I, uh, I can remember the moment. It was O2, Monte de Tenere, Raveneau, Chablis, which is very expensive now. Um, but I just had this this wine, and it, like, like blew out my brain. I mean, it was it combined everything. Uh, wine in general combined my passion, and which I sort of inherited for the restaurant business, with this sort of narrative form 
of 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 the story of this wine and the place that it comes from and the person who makes it and why and all these things. So um, I, I, I then got serious about wine uh, and uh, have worked for a bunch of people, Charlie Palmer, Andrew Carmelini, really amazing chefs. And it was there that I sort of got, got this kind of foundation for wine service, which is really, truly picking the right wine for, 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 for what's going on on the table. What's been really exciting about Ager and specifically, it's Nordic food. Um, and at least New Yorkers are a little bit less comfortable with it maybe than going to an Italian restaurant. So they're very trusting. And we sell marginally more white wine by the bottle than red, which is the first time that's even been a contest. Um, and I think that that's because white wine is really appropriate with our food. Um, but it's also because people are trusting us to do it. And our wine pairings typically only have one red wine on it. But they also usually have one or two give, beers, give one, for the record. One like kind of one-on-one <clears throat> wine pairing that you, that you use at your place. Sure. Um, we do a, a really... It's sort of so beautiful in its simplicity of a, a cod, um, a really, really beautiful small f- uh, filet of cod topped with Finnish caviar and a, a sauce um, with, it's basically a butter and fish fumet, sort of classic sort of Frenchish sauce with potato. But we don't waste anything. So the little pretty balls of potato that go in the dish, we fry up what's left of that potato and put, serve that on the side with dill. Which, and there's like dill on everything. Oh, that sounds um, amazing. It's so good. And um, yeah, I just put a, a sparkling wine on the list, and it's just like the perfect match. Caraccioli, uh, it's a small family estate in Santa Lucia Highlands, uh, so Monterey County, that makes only sparkling wine. It's 09. It has some richness. It's got some leasiness to it. And it just picks up all the elements um, of that dish, but then having enough acid to sort of like cut through this. It's not fatty cod, but, you know, it's got enough acid to stand up to the salinity of the of the caviar and, the, and sort of richness of the sauce. Yeah, I can see why I'd want white wine with that. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But that's the second to last dish on the savory menu. So, yeah, it's, it's tricky because, like, normally, like, in the old days, you went, like, sparkling, white, and then you did, like, three reds or something. So this, this, was, this is going to be a good show. We just came off of New York City Beer Week, so, you know, we went down to Charleston Wine and Food with the whole crew, David and Katie and Kat. So now we're talking about beer and food pairings. All right. And, uh, Chris, your background, too. You know, your Cicerone, and you're doing a lot with, with beer, yeah, beer and food. Absolutely. So what a beer week, huh, Jimmy? It's pretty awesome, man. You came to New York City Brewers Choice. Thank you. We, uh, of course, of course, it was great to be there. It was an honor. So many amazing local breweries, and New York State has, I think, like a quietly booming, you know, beer scene. Most folks across the country don't know how many breweries, close to three hundred breweries, right, in, in New York alone, which is which is incredible. It might be like the fourth most in the country, I think, by state. Yeah, I'm it's absolutely blown away. Yeah. You know, and I'm a, I'm a total beer beer nerd myself. So, um, yeah, my background. I'm, I'm actually from Vermont, and I actually had a very similar aha moment to Chad. Um, and one of the reasons I work for Guinness is um, the, you know, I, I had one of my first amazing beers, which turned out to be Guinness Extra Stout, uh, probably longer ago than I care to mention here. Um, and it, uh, it was fantastic. But yeah, I, coming out of business school, I actually kind of fell into a job at a local brewery at, uh, at Magic Hat, which was, um, you know, one of the original you know, craft beer, kind of cool, um, you know, hip craft breweries out there coming out of Burlington um, in my hometown and then worked for them for a few years. And since then, I've just kind of been neck deep in the beer industry doing various things, started my own beer website and and finally kind of moving into uh, into the brewery ambassador role. Brew, brew enthusiast. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's that's called a great the brew, site. Yeah, it's called the brew enthusiast. Yeah, it's like I, 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 I'm supposed to ask you how you can help my life. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you right? end up with this like, we can help you improve your brand. I'm like, you can help my life, Chris. We can, Jimmy, I, I can help you. We can we can help. I know you, you you give that confidence off. Exactly. Well, if, if I, I need help right now, I want to let's say for for the brisket king event coming up, or even better, you can do brisket or fried chicken. You know, we're going to go to Daniel's fried chicken place. Mm-hmm. What, what's a, a a good beer pairing for that? So fried chicken is amazing, right? Like, there's very few people. It certainly is. Yeah, because exactly. we, want, we want Daniel to get more into beer here too. We yeah. want him to have more beer at. His, his shack. So. Exactly. Um, but fried chicken is, is you know, it's, it's a rich food. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of flavor going on there. Obviously, the fattiness and the, some of the saltiness and, and the, you know, some of the umami flavors from the, uh, from the chicken. And so um, a beer that would probably contrast with that really nicely, you know, something like a crisp lager would work really well. I think wash away some of the fattiness and kind of, um, you know, balance out your palate a little bit. Um, so, you know, a bright crisp lager would work really well. You can also kind of roll with the, uh, the deep kind of more robust notes of the dish and, and work with a, a meatier kind of beer, you know, so, uh, a more caramel kind of forward, uh, box style beer, even a stout honestly would, would work pretty well depending on the kind of mood you're in. You yeah. Know? And, um, 
Chad, you brought this, uh, what is it, Kent Falls? Yeah, it's a field beer uh, oat. Uh, so everybody hears oats and expects it to be like, well, in the brewing community, not so much, but I think our guests see oat and they think uh, it's going to be like oatmeal or really rich or whatever, but it's actually a really light, very sessionable uh, uh, sour. Um, and we use it as a pairing with a cauliflower dish. Um, so it's a sauce made with cauliflower and a really stinky uh, cheese, actually from Vermont, Jasper Hills Creamery. Oh, Most they're amazing. Sleeper, really good cheese. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and some black trumpet mushrooms and then this smoked hay cream. And, and the acid sort of really works with all those funky flavors. Um, but uh, I, I think it would be great with fried chicken, for the record. Even though I, I typically drink champagne with fried chicken. I mean, I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> it, it's true. The, I mean, the, the amount of... Th- that's a huge thing. It, it also reminded me when we were uh, crafting the menu for wine over at Brisket Town... Um, I think that we only had two reds or three reds. It was almost all white wine. Uh, and it was weird because – and I, it's interesting because there's always the fight that people have, which is the fact that most people, myself included, we don't have the – we don't really have a huge knowledge. And so we, we come in with this idea that, well, if it's red meat, you drink red wine or if it's, you know, whatever. And, and so it was always a kind of an interesting and, and fun uphill battle to get people to drink what we thought that they should drink with barbecue, which was almost always acidic Wines. Yeah, but I get, you're right. This Kent Falls, the field beer of field beer oat. I thought it was going to be field of dreams oat <laughs> next time, but field beer oat. If you I, brew it, <laughs> they will drink they it. They will drink it. But I, I think this would be great with your fried yeah, chicken too, certainly, Daniel. Yeah. And then Heather, hey, well, and I was going to say, guys, if you want to say something, say it into the mic. All right. Oh, so you're already no, tripping I, I, in. No, I was just laughing a lot. You can laugh it's into the, the mic. I, I still am. Because our listeners want to hear your voice. I got to come do some some chicken and champagne. And what, have you had, you've had some great uh, beer, beer and food pairing moments in your life. Let's see. Let's see. Because we've see. had you on a one? lot. We know how you're starting. Oh man, out. no, I don't know that I can pick one. Man, there's been there's been no, I don't know that I can pick one. There's so many. David, I mean, do the buzzer. She's uh, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I like no, no. I like that we like we teed, teed up the show though with like a cicerone versus yeah. you know sommelier kind of thing. He's yep. ca- he's kicking but, your butt. But, you know? but well, it's funny though because like I was thinking about what what uh, we we're saying about red meat and it's like. I, we have one of the few red meat dishes on our menu is a, a beef heart, uh, and it's a it's like a tartare of beef heart. It's like it's as red as red meat gets. I mean, it's the heart of this cow, uh, and we we pair it with with beer. Usually, we pair it with a goza. Uh, usually, the geyser goza from Two Evil, which is like salty and it's got this Icelandic connection, which is super fun, even though it's brewed in Connecticut. But you know, I also pair it with riesling um, because riesling has that minerality to stand up to that intense beefiness of the dish i mean but uh so i i think like my my least favorite thing and, and this ha- used to happen to me when I, I was at the dutch for a long time we had a big raw bar and i would approach the table and and a guy would say hey uh so we're getting the prince platter which is like a three-tiered seafood extravaganza and they'd be like which of these cabernets do you think to go with it and it's like um this one, but it, we need to decant it, and I think you guys should have some beers first, you know, and and that would like be able to Can, we'd actually be able to deliver them an experience so that was from you'd a flavor say pretty no. good. No, I can't say no. And you're you're so you're really part of you as a sommelier in the traditional sense is you're 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 picking wines, you're working with the chefs, but you're also interacting with the customers. Well, I think the hardest part about being a som to a certain extent um, is is being comfortable saying the same things over and over again, but still saying it with enthusiasm yeah. and with, with excitement. And I'm sure that's true in, in the beer world too. Like, especially if you're like pouring it a tasting or anything like that. I mean, I end up recommending a lot of the same wines because I really know that they're, they're perfect for that, that moment. Um, but saying that differently to each table and, and, and making people feel that I'm enthusiastic about it and not just some sort of robot sommelier. I mean, otherwise I could just like Skype in from home in my underpants and or you something, do, right? Like, yeah, you do. You end up having those conversations and you forget that most people, um, are interested, right? But most people are on the same page in terms of what what they might know or not know about a certain dish or a certain flavor pairing or something like that. And you Chris, know? you just opened what an Irish wheat. Yeah, so we uh, yeah, Jimmy. So we just opened Guinness Irish Wheat. So um, this is actually coming out very shortly here in the spring from the Guinness I, Brewery. I was going to say this is not available right now, right? This, this is going to be available really shortly. Okay, yep, cool. yep. And this Heather, is actually what's the, is that the official. When will it it's, be? Available? It's coming this spring. Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this is the first time that Guinness has um, brought a wheat beer over. This is brewed over in Dublin. Um, this is the first time we brought a wheat beer over here to the states, mm-hmm. um, and this is the first time we made a beer on this scale um, with 100% Irish wheat. Wow. So we actually worked with our growers and our farmers to 
um, to help cultivate this and malt this properly. Daniel, it, can you see this going with your fried chicken? To get this done. Certainly. I mean, but but this is just, is this a normal thing for Guinness? Because I don't, like, this feels to me like, I, I don't know, it, it feels like a, like a, this, like, craft endeavor, and I don't always associate... Uh, like the name Guinness, it seems like such a huge. Well, so you know that's, what I mean? that's the thing. So you, I, I think everybody thinks of Guinness Stout, right? And yeah, but the, the, the beer you know is Guinness Stout has only been available since 1959. Uh-huh. Like Guinness is 258 years old now. So, like, that's a very small portion of what we have ever brewed in our life. And, and so to your question, though, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and so um, one of the things that we work on as an ambassador for Guinness, you know, I'm a massive beer fan. You know, I love the industry. And, and so it's, it's great to talk about this. But um, they're a brewery, you know, and they've made a lot of great beer over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the current, you know, sort of look and feel of Guinness is very much um, as a brewer, you know, as somebody who is innovating and creating all these great new beers. And so we hope and we're really proud to. Um, to share a lot of these, you know, out with the uh, with the general audience, and we hope that we that we do kind of hit a, hit a good note, you know, yeah. with a lot of people in terms but, but of what with, we got that's going a on. Question: Daniel's are like kind of ace in the hole. He's <laughs> innocent about beer, and he's asking the best questions. Yeah, that, yeah. It, it is you a great question. You always do, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It's a great question. But how about this with fried chicken, Chad? You know, you're the wine guy, but for beer. Yeah, no, I'm into it. I mean, I, I think like uh, we served a lot of fried chicken at the Dutch. That was kind of like something we mm-hmm. did there, and 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 beer was always like a, a very close runner up to champagne, and also much more affordable. So, <laughs> like that we're uh, running on the champagne. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good. <laughs> what can you say? Um, but can we, can we get a couple bottles of champagne in there? I, I, I would have brought some, but I was like, it's a beer show. I bring I think, beer. I think we're drinking the the, the champagne and beer right now. <laughs> we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, join HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We were down in uh, Charleston Wine and Food, and New York City Beer Week just happened. Right now we're talking about Brisket King at NYC, April 19th. And uh, we're tasting different beers, talking about what will go with fried chicken. Later we'll move on to brisket. But, Dan, so mm-hmm. we, we have the Guinness wheat, and you say he's a dissenter. Yeah, I actually don't think it's the right fit for a fried chicken. <laughs> okay, uh, fair enough. Only fair because, enough. The, like, at least what we do, there's it's so rich. We have so much, uh, so much fat uh, as, as sort of like the the flavor, and then we have mayo because it's a sandwich. So we have fat and mayo. And I, I think you're making a good point here because I, I kind of forgot your your sandwich style. Um, what I was thinking fried chicken of, of Andrew Carmelini's hot fried chicken, which is more of a super spicy, like lots of like spiced in the in the yeah, crust, like and, Nashville and like, style. Yeah, and I like yeah. the kind of fruitiness mm-hmm. of it with that. But you're right; this is might I be think, a little. It might yeah. be a little flat with mayonnaise. Yeah. But then I, I, I wanted to ask you. I, I was reading about your recipe for your fried chicken. What's so special about it? It's, it's wet. Everything. You know, <laughs> tell us. I want to hear your recipe. Well, yeah, what's that, what's not what's special? The biggest. Thing I want to know his recipe. Different about it is that. I think that most fried chicken places that we know of, either that are chains or even in New York City, are that are southern fried chicken use a dry dredge where they're tossing the chicken in, in flour and then they're dump, dunking that into oil. And we don't do that. We we basically put a, a batter, almost like pancake batter, on the chicken, and then that's what goes into the hot oil. And the resulting texture is very different. It's kind of a little bit more like tempura. Like you get this, uh, we, and we put some secret things in the batter so that when it hits the oil, there's a 
a reaction which creates all these craters and nooks and crannies and and um, when you bite into it, it's very, very pleasurable. Yeah. How do we not have any fried chicken? I know. What's going on? Chris and I are starving. We're like here. slobbering on the mics. Totally right, now. Now, right? That's for after, guys. Yeah. But, um, so that recipe. So like one thing with chicken, brining it. You know, sometimes I feel like with dark meat, when you fry it, it doesn't. Which is all we use. Yeah, but it, but why don't you like confit it first or something? I know in some Asian cultures they confit so chicken actually, wings first. This has been a big change, but now we we sous vide all of our chicken first. Whoa! Yeah, so we don't we we actually the molecular gastronomic yeah, fried exactly. chicken. We sous vide all of the chicken before we batter it. And Breaking fry it. news! Yeah, and this is only a change. It's only about two weeks old that we've started to do this. I, I learned it from Chef King Fajanagang, who has kuma in. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how he cooks his wings. He first kind of confis them mm-hmm. and fries them to order. Does that bring them to temperature, like the right internal temperature? Well, Is that no. the deal? Well, I would say, you tell me what you think. To me, it, it actually cooks through the... I mean, dark meat takes longer to cook. and You don't want to bite into a you know fried chicken leg and have it still not, like kind of... It should fall off the bone. That's what yeah, I think. It's like it can be too sinewy. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. you get those like. It's not cooked through. Bits. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, for, for us, it's it's a few things. It, number one, ultimately, it's a fast food restaurant. I mean, we, we serve, we have we do an order every 10 seconds. So we need to move faster. So by sous vide it ahead of time, it's only about a minute and 10 seconds in the fryer versus the seven minutes when it's raw. So part of it is utility, but it's a much better product. Like the, the chicken is uniformly juicy. And, and, and to Chad's point, like we definitely break down uh, some of the like, you know, gnarly bits that, that are there and they, they become much more tender. So it's, it's a win across the board. That's good. So, so now, we, now we've, that's a technical term, by the way, gnarly now, bits. You don't want the gnarly bits. With our, with our food pairings, we just, you know, kind of going further down the tunnel. So we know that there, it's dark meat, there's sous vide, there might yes. be what, may, mayo in the finish. And we use Duke's mayo from, from North Carolina and uh, homemade pickles and uh, some crystal hot sauce. And, and it's a squishy white bun, with, which is butter grilled. So it's, it's like fat upon fat upon fat. And the only acid is really coming from a little bit from the pickles and from that hot sauce. Uh, it's balanced well as a sandwich, but, but, but definitely something that's acidic. Or, or that sort of has like a cleansing quality would be appropriate uh, in, in terms of a drink. Great. So what what should we serve, Chad? Um, am I am I allowed to say champagne again? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not. That's that's, that's like eighty six champagne. The the only, we're out of champagne. It's the only uh, card you brought today. I, the champagne card. You know, it works for every. No, I, I mean I think like if you go, uh, if I you read go about Riesling, Chad, he's going to tell you to he, everything. His fallback is pink champagne. Yeah, pink champagne's great. It's got a little tannic structure. That was the biggest know? barbecue seller. Of course, pink champagne. I mean, it, it's, well, it's rosé. You know, we can call it pink here. It's yeah. a beer show. But so you guys don't need jobs anymore. So the death of sommelier is. I read about it was last winter. I was like, well, everyone can order rose and everyone can, can order sparkling. That's and it. if you guys you order sparkling rose, you don't need a sommelier anymore. Yeah, that's, that's just that's order f- sparkling. The only problem is it's it's very expensive. Uh. Well, and the, the, I mean, to his point, like it, it, that's why beer does really well with so mm-hmm. many foods. Is that it's the carbonation? People don't get like the carbonation just gets all of that fat, and you, Daniel, were just saying like layers and layers and layers. So let's and layers let's of taste fat. this like, beer. You need and that. See carb. if it would go with Daniel's fried chicken. What do you sous vide fatty? Buttermilk. What is something. the type of beer that has the most like scrubbing bubbles kind of effect on the tongue? <laughs> uh, typically, it might be wheat beers. Wheat beers, Belgian beers are highly carbonated, um, so those are typically the styles that you want. But but I might go to like legit sours again. Like, uh, and mm-hmm. I, I do love Goza and that sort of stuff in those situations, just because they do have uh, less the intense carbonation, um, but more the intense acid quality. But but here, so here's the challenge, right? So you're you're this is a conversation among people that care that give a shit about beer and they're interested in learning more. What do you do in an application where people are placing an order for food every 10 seconds or 15 seconds and they want comfort and they want familiarity and they're not really interested in having an education? Pilsner. That's it. (laughs) I mean, mean, that's a real challenge. I tend to, I tend to agree with that. You know, I, I think that food and beer, food and wine, you know, that, that, it's always up for a discussion, you know, and if you add the right context, and I think, Chad, you could probably speak to this, like, if you add the right context to anything, you know, it can start to make sense, you know, but I think that in the case of fried chicken, it's like a bit of a unique case in that it's such a big 
you know, there's so much going on there, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the fat. And I know what you're saying. You know, it's, so. it's about choices. So if we're talking about like fast casual, which seems to be where a lot of people are going. Right. Like if I go to Shake Shack in Madison Square Park and I have my burger, mm-hmm. I'm either thinking wine or beer. And they have a red wine. I just want the red wine. Mm-hmm. And then I have or a beer. Right. And I don't really get into deciding which type or even getting to ask that question. Is that, is that what you would agree I, with? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is, uh, you know, generally speaking, when you think of kind of the more, the faster foods, you know, the chickens and the, the burgers and things of the world, <laughs> it's traditionally beer's territory, right? You know, you say, oh, I'll have a beer with that burger and a beer, fried chicken and a beer, you know, things like that. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. And I think the carbonation has a big, you know, a big part of that. But there's also, um, there's, you know, when you're, <laughs> if you're at, if you're in Madison Square Park, you don't really have a lot of choices, you know, but I think that a very light, you know, Flavorful, crisp, but very highly carbonated yeah. beverage. And kind I'll of give them a shot. I think that Shake Shack, the way they've handled their beverages. Yeah, you get a yeah. burger. Oh, I can get a red wine. I'll go with the red wine, or I'll, I'll get a beer. When I, and I think yeah. that's like a tricky. I mean, and you know, Agern is part of a big project in Grand Central, and we have this great Northern Food Hall. So we do do actually we, QSR is the fancy word, quick mm-hmm. service restaurant. But um, and one thing that you have to think about is. I, I think of okay, what am I? What do I want to drink with this? It's going to be like a really light red. Uh, it's going to be like a Beaujolais, like Gamay, Pinot Noir mm-hmm. kind of vibe. But a lot of people who are ordering red wine in that context do not want that wine, right? That's what I would order if I was ordering red wine at a at a quick service restaurant. But I would never order red wine at a quick service restaurant, right? I would order a beer or maybe a sparkling wine or something. Right, right. So you have to kind of like take the audience into consideration and find. Maybe something that's a little fuller bodied because it's a little bit more of a popular style and then figure out which one is going to work with the food. When we opened the chicken place, we were doing just that. We were bringing in these light Trollingers. We were bringing in rosés and uh, and like these fruity gamets and such. And and nobody nobody cared. Like it was just the barrier of education was way too high for anybody to buy into it. And you had ten seconds, like you, you and, know, and that it, was it. There yeah. was there wasn't any time. So what, what do they buy when they're getting their chicken? So we dropped wine entirely, and actually we we went with just one brewery. And we have like five beers from one brewery. So which one's that? It's a uh, it's a beta. We went with a beta because the the original recipe for the fried chicken is coming from Louisiana, uh, or the the style. So that we thought that that was appropriate. I I love their amber. It's like that's my Budweiser. That's like the beer that I want to drink when I don't want to think about beer. It's my Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's what we went with. But we might actually drop drop alcohol in general, maybe. So we'll see. All right. So, Chris, uh, what beer did you pour for us? Yeah. So we just actually poured the Guinness Antwerp and Stout. So this actually came out in um, October, September, October last year. And this is the first time we brought this beer over. Oddly, this is not the uh, this is not an original recipe beer. So we actually uh, have been making this beer since 1944. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, this is rebranded as Antwerpen, but it's foreign export stout over in Europe. And uh, we still sell it to this day to the Port of Antwerp, to the Martin family, the, uh, the importers of, uh, of Guinness into, uh, into Belgium and, and, and a lot of continental Europe. And so this is a, a big 8% beer. It's definitely... Okay, I was going to say that. The ABV seems like yeah. strikingly high. There's some, there's some heat on this beer. There's a great espresso and so a really could, good chocolate. I could drink this, this with, with fried chicken. Yeah. So this, am I crazy? Is there some grape kind of thing? Mm. There could be. I think you're one of the first people I've heard say that. But I get that kind of like a muscat kind of grapiness or something. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a really actually there's a big ester note to this. Chris, you know, this beer, is a, so. a pretty yeah you know professional panel you're sitting on. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's there's some flavors. The great thing is is you can pull flavors you know out of out of anywhere depending on who you are. But there's a really good um, you know, and I, I say that with all seriousness too. Is like you know depending on who you are and what you're drinking, it's it, it you know. You well, know, it's really funny. Like I, I could drink this with fried chicken, your fried chicken. But you know, so th- there's one thing that I learned about Guinness Foreign Expert style. I was amazed that that was the drink of choice in like Jamaica and the Caribbean. So that's yeah, that's a little but, bit different. That's for an extra stout. Yeah, but for an yeah. extra stout, yep. which is also stronger. It is, yep. But it's like warm climate. Why are people in a warm climate drinking a strong beer? So these beers were one of the first beer, some of the first beers that were brewed. For an extra stout is actually our oldest recipe. It dates back to a recipe from 1801 uh, from the Guinness Brewery, and so um, those particular beers were actually brewed for export. They were brewed to be to be sent overseas, and so um, they're big, they're hoppy, right? The hops are a, a big preservative, um, and that was mainly the point of the hop. Um, the hops in those particular beers, you know, back in back in the early uh, 19th century. So um, since then, though, you know, those cultures were kind of weaned on that kind of beer. And it does not really make sense in your head. You know, you think about hot, 
you know, no, no, Caribbean no. culture. Right. Tell us how but as, as I, someone from I Florida, born and raised Florida, listen, it's always hot. When I want to drink a stout, I want to drink a stout. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's fine. You you, it's, it's you northerners that uh, that get stuck on this season. I gotta say though, I'd rather have oh. this with brisket than Dro- fried chicken. Dropped. Just saying. This beer. Yeah. Yeah. But a, a lot of these bigger beers can be a little intimidating to some, you know, I think beer drinkers who kind of go for the lighter lagers, the ones who just say, just give me a beer with my chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the bigger beers, you know, the, the higher ABV beers, the ones that have a lot of flavor, this particular beer has, like I said, a good chocolate kind of note to it as well. Um, they can be a perfect complement to the bigger flavored foods. I know? want it as and like a really well. or something. Yeah. I want this as dessert. This is actually a beer I would usually pair with like a, a really, really nice chocolate cake, mm-hmm. you know, something, some sort of chocolate dessert that would, um, that would complement that. that and then that quick, before we lose, lose this beer, Chad. So I agree with you. So tell me why this, this Porter would go well with brisket. Well, uh, I mean, it, it depends on the, how the brisket's prepared and the spice factor and all that. But, I mean, I think, obviously, the ABV helps with the intenseness of any, you know, heavier dish. There's, you know, brisket is like a, you know, you don't check your cell phone when you're eating brisket, right? Like, you are, you are focused on that. Your hands are dirty. And, the, and you want a beer that has, like, the presence to stand up to it. And I, and I, and I think alcohol is a factor in that. Um, and then, you know, just depending on the sauce or lack thereof, um, I don't know. I think that that sort of like chocolate caramel kind of coffee quality can actually be really nice with those things. And, and, yeah. those and a beer, a beer with less flavor would honestly just kind of wash away. Yeah. So totally. You, you totally. Feel it. You would only feel the cold. I, I agree with Daniel. Like I can yeah. see this to me also. Yeah. This is it's a little bigger beer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's maybe it's great. Maybe it's raisiny. Mm-hmm. You know, an overripeness that I would. Yeah, I would like like some chocolate with this, a biscotti or something. So, but but Chad, are you arguing and only because I don't know anything. Uh, are you arguing that the higher alcohol content is good because it cuts through the fat, or it's good because you just you just stop caring sooner? Um, it's uh, uh, it's the former. I, I think it is actually just a better. It's got the intensity on your on your palate, and I, and I think uh-huh. that like brisket, I, I you know your brisket's amazing, but Thank brisket you. is salty, uh-huh. it's fatty, yep. you know it's all of these things, and and body uh, of of whatever you're having is going to be important there. I mean, you sure. want something with some sort of intensity to it. And, I, you know, ABV is one way of getting that. We're, we're knocking over beers. It's getting sloppy but in I the did, studio here. <laughs> but I, I, brought the, I brought the next beer that we're tasting, with, which is, uh, which is a, another dark beer um, that I use with dessert. Um, mm. and, and it's something that I've been reaching for a lot is dessert beer um, because of the pairing format. And Ooh. because, yeah, and so this is from Grimm. Um, they're super cool, like sort of gypsy brewers, and this is their Sumi Zest. They started with a beer called Sumi Ink, um, which was a dark beer, and then they added uh, citrus to it, um, which uh, th- is a citrus imperial stout, if you will. And what I think is fun, and what you're saying about dessert pairings, is that both both the Guinness uh, Export Stout and this bring something to a dessert that wasn't there before. You know, and and um, we work with a lot of like vegetables in in our pastry department. We work with a lot of like sort of more savory expressions. So it's really fun to bring something that has some sweetness and some fruit um, to the pairing. Yeah, you know? and I and I also think that the cool thing about and the and the best thing um, about food and beer pairings and food and wine is that. Um, the contrast, right? So you sit there, and and so to Chad's point, you can kind of you taste something. You have a bite of the affogato, you have a bite of the, you know, the the whatever it is, the cannoli, the the dessert, and then you have a sip of the wine, a sip of the beer, and you realize that there were flavors in that other one that just weren't there because you weren't looking for them. But in comparison, when something is sitting next to it, right, you really start to blow up one side or the other. You know, you start to blow up the savory or the sweet. I think we're talking a lot about flavor, but there's also for this specifically, there's like. A texture that's pretty remarkable. It's like completely velvety, and but and it has effervescence that's like super tight, like these teeny teeny little bubbles. And that to me doesn't make it as aggressive of a thing to drink. It's kind of a smoother. It's it, it feels like the end. It's I mean, the finish t- line. Texture to me is like the the one thing that like people don't understand with mm-hmm. pairings. I mean, like, yes. it, and and it's something that I use so often. And I, I go back to that beef heart thing we were talking about. It's got, like, raw dill on top of it and, like, these really crispy salsify thing, uh, like, uh, salsify is like a root vegetable that's, like, almost like potato chips, but they're really skinny. And 
when you're eating it, I mean, it's not unpleasant, but there's like a dryness factor, right? And when you have a beer with it, the, the way that it coats your mouth and the, the texture of the beer on your palate with those things is just what makes it work. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's less about flavor and more about texture. Wow, man. This is going. I want to ask Daniel when we come back about what his beef heart recipe would be. But we're taking a short break back on Beer Sanders Radio. All right. Woo, woo, woo. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guys, join HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Memberships, businesses, and individuals, and uh, good listeners from Sweden to England to Michigan. Michigan always comes up because it's a cool place. And out there, Chris, they had uh, Bells from Kalamazoo. Yep, what was yep. the beer that you liked? Uh, I think today? I just had the, uh, the Golden Rye earlier smitten. today it's called smitten right and what did you like about it because you, you really remarked on it yeah so that kind of a beer the use of rye is uh it's pretty pervasive but you actually don't see it very often so in in the brewing industry and so that particular beer had a really nice kind of peppery finish to it and uh it's unique you know when you use a rye malt inside the beer you get you get the nice fruitiness at the beginning but then it just kind of well, it kind of washes cool part away of what we do you come it's also out. a pain in the tuesdays ass five o'clock <laughs> you catch us sitting at the bar at roberta's and the guy who's a bartender on Tuesdays from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Amazing. Right. What's his name? Andrew. 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 All right, Andrew. So, yeah, so porn, um, porn of perfect bells. Jack keeps talking about this amazing pairing that is at his spot where there's a, there's a beef heart, and you know I know Daniel's making fried chicken, but for me, he's he's the beef brisket expert that I always look to. <laughs> uh, you know wh- what would you do with a beef heart? As a barbecue guy or a southern guy, you know we. Well, I think that more than those two guys, I'm I'm like a tinkerer kind of guy. That's how we got into barbecue, and and towards the end of of like these last few years, we've been doing more and more sous vide, more and more, uh, you know, parsing together different techniques, and I think that. Uh, a, a, a protein that has so much iron and, and and has sort of like a this like this sort of like deeper rich texture might actually do well that way where you where you you braise it or something like this to kind of let it uh, let it you know sort of break down and have have this wonderful uh, sort of very sumptuous and rich texture and then if we were to introduce smoke one of the things that we started to do towards the end was actually introduce smoke to things in by by first smoking different fats and then finishing things like get, letting things get uh, a final texture the way that you'd see or with with fat that are that has smoke and I think that that might be a great way to introduce a smoke flavor. I don't see throwing hearts in in the smoker to be very but successful. Would, would you su- you'd sous vide the the beef heart first? I think, think so. I yeah, think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he's he's right on. I mean we we brine it and then quickly sear it, but sear it to like a very very hard rare. So I mean you know the basically same idea, which is to slowly break down the heart and then yeah. give it a little fire just for flavor or smoke would probably work there. But you got to break it down first. It's, right. it's a muscle and it's the it's the hardest working muscle. Yeah, it works and, pretty yeah. hard too, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then so Daniel about you know brisket versus you know pastrami. That cut of beef. Tell us what the cut of beef is that everyone uses. But there's so many incarnations: corned beef, pastrami, they're smoked re- I mean, the, the thing they're all very interrelated, right? Like all of the tech, all of whether it's the German Czech brisket that you'll find out in Texas, or the German sort of Jewish brisket that you'll find in New York, it's all coming from these original ancestral modes of preservation. Meat was gone bad; they needed to save it. They smoked it. They cured it. They pickled it, whatever they had to do to make it not turn into garbage, because that that luxury didn't exist. Landfills were not an option for meat that was salvageable. So, so really, the, I mean, like uh, today, you go to Katz's or you go down to Franklin or whatever, like, and they seem worlds apart, but but historically, the the function was very much the same. All of those old meat shops in Texas were just. They couldn't. Nobody wanted to buy the cut that took that many hours, so they went around back and they just looked at old German techniques of of how they smoked food and what was coming up through the Caribbean. And they said, "Well, let's dig a pit and, and smoke the stuff as a way to not let it go bad." And uh, 
and the the techniques of brining and then and then steaming and sm- smoking and steaming are it's essentially the same thing but just a different region a lot of it also has to do with land it had to do with like how much space was available to be cooking outdoors versus you know what techniques were available in new york city and and you know i mean the, we we today operate in 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 this world of of opportunity and 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 every food decision that we make has we, we have no boundaries we can sous vide we can do all these bizarre things but most of the older techniques of food were it was survival still and it was is what can we do to 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 find sustenance sort and of a product of necessity right yeah, like what, yeah. what what we had to do but i mean that's that's beer too right? yeah i mean it was just yep. like potable water right I like i mean it. you know it's saisons and stuff like uh, you know it's 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 that was a you just had to have something to drink so that is, was clean is this beer safe to drink is that your sense yeah. beer is very safe to drink <laughs> yeah we've we've checked so, this one it's good to go so sampled it, it. Uh, Chad, one more time. What was the, the last so, Grim we yeah, just Yeah, so this drank? is the Grim. It's their uh, Imperial Stout. Um, they call it Sumi Zest. They did a, a beer called Sumi Ink, which refers to a Japanese like style of, uh, of, uh, uh, of ink. And, and uh, they added uh, orange zest to it. Um, it's sort of, this is sort of like Sumi version 2.0, I guess, with, with, yeah. with zest. Yep. All right, so let's talk about prison. So you guys, now I'm going to do the Cicerone versus Sommelier test. And Daniel, oh, jump geez. in as experiences you've <laughs> had. So you didn't like a wheat beer stretches. with fried chicken. Now we're going to brisket. So, guys, we're going to a, um, let's say what, how would you describe your brisket? It's like Texas. It's smoked. Yes. It's, smoked it's, flavors. It's, it's very beefy. We Everything about it, are, when we think about it like... I think about flavors as colors. It's a ton of brown flavors. It's 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 caramel. It's beef. It's fish sauce. It's it's all of these sort of very dark, rich, nutty flavors. Um, and I've had it. And the funny thing, you know, like many great chefs and personalities, when when you're at an event and Daniel's actually cutting that brisket, it, it always tastes good, but it tastes even better. So, <laughs> what is it that you do that no one else does? Uh, you know, is is it the salt something. bay? It's, you guys have you seen salt bay, man? <laughs> Did yeah. that just come up in this podcast? Wait, 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 wait. wait. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy knows what's all I, ju- I just That's saw amazing. it on Instagram last week. That's it was amazing. on Eater. But I can imagine Daniel kind of like flicking his wrist. Listen, and, listen yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, the new hot thing is Malt Bay. What's that? Malt Bay. Malt with the sprinkling your, the malt. For your sprinkling beer? the malt. <laughs> Heather, it's so new that Heather just invented that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm that hip. You're hip. I'm so, guys, so we're drinking. We're, you know, we have the, the Daniel Meme, you know. Special brisket. <laughs> okay, let's go with it. Out of your, go for it, you guys. With Cicerone and Sommelier. Yep, yep. You know, pick a beer, or you can talk us into it while you figure it out. Okay. What are you looking for in a beer that's going to go with his dark, rich, smoked special brisket? So big, powerful flavors, right? These are these are the big umami flavors that we've been talking about here for forty five minutes. Um, this particular beer is going to need. I, I'm a particular fan of a contrasting beer in this in this circumstance, you know. So I think that um, something like a stout that we talked about earlier would work. You know, there's a lot of um, complementary kind of things going on in those two, especially the the bigness, some of the booziness from the beer can can certainly work with um, some of that smoke and, and and things like that. And there's definitely a smoke note in the in the Antwerp and stout that we're drinking right now. Um, but I would go with on like a you know kind of either a more hop forward you know kind of pale ale something that was bright something that did have that kind of bitter finish and you know the beer's carbonation would kind of cleanse your palate really really well so, so carbonation that's what you're talking about. well the yeah. carbonation in the beer every beer has carbonation you know uh, for them but but at the end of the day my pr- my preference in this case would would be to kind of cleanse you know give yourself a reset after a bite wash something down with a big a big beer an ipa um you know kind of hot forward pale ale something that would be um that would contrast nicely without being overwhelming yeah i mean i think we're kind of on the same page because i was immediately thinking of ipa no but i mean like i used to just crush ipas just like that was just like my go-to beer um, and then, like, as I got a little bit older or whatever, uh, it started to get a little bit exhausting at times to just drink, like, an yep. 8.5% alcohol IPA. Um, and then the same thing happened to me with Belgian beer, where, like, before IPAs, I just, like, couldn't drink anything other than Saison's. But um, the one time I do want to reach for something with that sort of level of intensity is with a hearty food. And, like, I, you know, I look at – I actually was talking to a young Cicerone uh, recently, and he kept talking about – he, he used the word hazy or haze probably like six times in our conversation. <laughs> and it's definitely a thing that's happening. And, and, you know, other half is a great example here. And you go up to Vermont and the alchemist and all these guys, um, 
and it's it's hitting LA hard right now. Like everybody in the sort of like small canned ca- craft beer scene is doing like a hazy something, and everybody's putting oats in their beers. And but the one time that I do want to reach for those sorts of like hazy, cloudy, super like thick IPAs is uh, with with something like hearty, like a brisket. I, I think that's it's like beautiful because the bitterness and also, on top of the bitterness on the palate is the aromatics, which are super and, uh, tropical and floral and, then, and fun. And like, Daniel, in your time at, at Brisket Town, what beer do you think went best with your brisket? You can name a brand or whatever. Well, I'll tell you the beer that we sold the most. The beer that we sold the most, without any question, was Shiner. And that had nothing to... That David, hit the buzzer, please. Was that only... Be, let me ask a question. Was that Brand. only because that I'm was the joking, sort of, not. like, you know, medium-bodied beer job, available? Or was we that... Had, we had Lone Star. Oh, okay. We had Shiner. We had Abita Amber. All three of them are kind of similar in their overall body and such. I, I think that this is it. And, and this is... It's like, again, this comes back to that question about education. Yeah. People wanted to eat brisket and drink a Shiner. They built such a brand like Texas, around that experience. Louisiana. That's what it yeah. was about. Very reminiscent of that place in that time. Totally. Yeah. It's, and, it's part yeah. of the archetype of having But that goes back that goes back Texas. to German influences. So the Shiner yeah. is the Bach. You have the, the, the German butchers who became the barbecue guys in Texas. And you had a German yeah. style of beer, which actually one of the few places in the country that's making Bach is Texas. Yeah. I mean, there's not too many other breweries making regional Bachs. I just don't takes, know if it takes too long. If, if, if there was that much thought, I think it, it was it was that it felt right. It felt just like the right beer. Whether you knew what it was or whatever, I'm just a consumer. And I think that's, and, that's yeah. at the end of the day, that's the thing with beer and food pairings. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no right or wrong answer. Sure. Right. Well, no, I was, no. and, and, and it's just like, is there any, like, happier feeling than just drinking a nice lighter style beer you know whether yeah. it's a lager or a pilsner or even shiner bach yeah. i mean it's, well, it's, it's sometimes it's about refreshment yeah, you know and, it, and yeah. it, it doesn't have to be about like what is the exact right pairing totally. for it it's like what is the exact right pairing for you as a person in this moment and bringing that experience you know it's like it's like do I, how do i feel right now let's, and, let, and let's take great. a minute let's recap what we drank today because we, we were all thinking about what we would drink with fried chicken or brisket. So first, uh, Chad, you brought... Uh, so we brought Kent the Falls. Kent Falls. Uh, it was the Field Beer Oat. They do a different Field Beer, I think, every season. Uh, this one was made with local oats. They grow their own hops. Really cool up in Kent, Connecticut. And then, Chris, what do we have next? Uh, yeah, so we brought two beers today from Guinness, uh, the Guinness Irish Wheat. And we also brought our Guinness Antwerp and Stout. And then we, and then we finished with, with the Grim uh, Sumi Zest uh, Imperial Stout. And I, when I think brisket, I, I, I think of... Beard as I've, I've done, and I actually more and more I look to Belgium. Mm-hmm. I think of like a Flemish red, something that has body, but 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 oh, yeah, cuts. Yeah, Brodebach with brisket. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could get into that. Like yeah. a nice yeah. Westlanders that like, could work really well. Tartness. The sourness, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you can't do that. And what is it called? What's your the three initials for the quick service stuff? QSR. Yeah, I don't know about QSR with with <laughs> Flemish red, but no, they're not going to handle that. You know, maybe for an intimate. <laughs> yeah, Grand Cru on draft. I doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that, that'll yeah, that'll be fifty two dollars for a draft of beer and. <laughs> it's actually as I'm thinking about this. There's this opportunity. Daniel, don't give up alcohol at the fried chicken stand. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about it. That's going to oh, be. No. We're going to make a mission. That would be. Yeah. But I think that actually there's this opportunity. You know, I think that sometimes the the like nerdiness of a beverage can actually be the thing that cripples people from trying it, right? And I think that you know, as I'm thinking, as I'm as I'm hearing all of this, I'm thinking, oh, maybe we just need to develop a beer with somebody and just call it crispy or like refreshing or something <laughs> and cut all of the uh, all of the external I mean that's what Shake Shack did Shackmeister ale I mean you know and they right. crushed that beer right. for Brooklyn Brewery oh I mean, yeah Brooklyn made crush that, right yeah yeah, yeah. It can be overwhelming. We can introduce you to some people. Beer and wine. uh, Beer and wine is really overwhelming. Daniel, once again, the visionary. (laughs) He's created some new ideas. Nailed it. I thought about that for years, too. I've gone to this little place on uh, Broom and Orchard. It's called, like, the Dudley. And, and I'm like, they have like the, I call it the greatest hits drinks. It's like three cocktails, a red, a white, a sparkling, a couple beers. And you're like, you know what? That's all I need. And I get the burger. Right. I I don't think about it. It tastes really good. I'll get a refill. So kind of what you're saying. It's like the greatest hits. It's like cut through all the choices mm-hmm. and have something that's really good. Yeah. Because, yep. like, I don't want people to be, like, afraid of beer and wine. Like, they, they shouldn't. Like, it, it should never be intimidating. Like, 
and, know, this, and this is why, to, to Heather's point there too, this is why the classics always work. You know, yeah. this is why you can go in and something like, you know, Guinness Draft or Brooklyn Lager or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, like these beers that we all cut our teeth on, these beers that we love, we love them because they work. We love yeah. them because they We're going to wrap up the show, but as we're planning for it, look ahead. April 19th, it's brisketkingnyc.com. This year it's benefiting our good buddies at Brooklyn Rescue Mission, which in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, they operate food pantries and um, a community garden. Good buddies. But leading up to that, each one of you to wrap it up, please tell us a favorite beverage and food pairing and go quick with it. Because I have mine right now. Oh, Garrett Oliver's book, it's always the same. Barley wine and Stilton, you have those two together. It's magic in your mouth. Okay, who's next? Um, my go-to, uh, just a few doors down from Dudley's where you get your hamburger, uh, Stiegel and Schnitzel. They rhyme. They're What's delicious. Stiegel? Stiegel's an Austrian beer. It's fantastic. It's super lean right, Who's next? That's a good one. Uh, Stout and Oyster. Stout and Oyster is all day. Stout and Oyster. Uh, yeah. Stout and Oyster. Well, Which well, place well. is Stiegel in? Cafe Katia. Nice. Orchard Street. Good Cafe one, Katia. Go there. Uh, a really good Vermont nutty cheddar. Got to throw it to my homies back in Vermont, and uh, yeah, probably a darker beer, like yeah. a really a really nice kind of dry stout, like export stout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love just eating like assorted cured meats with super acidic uh, cocktails. Actually, would be my favorite mm. thing. So I, I love. I love like aviations and and just things that have a, like a lot of acid, a lot of a lot of. Light, He's a cocktail guy. Kind of, That's what yeah, we I, I figured it out. out. Secret cocktail guy. Yeah, we're all and there. Our cocktails on draft. Special friend so from Chile. So we have to convert him. We met her at the bar, at Roberta's. What's your name? She's been sitting at the bar all day, waiting for air, <laughs> airplane back to Chile. Yeah, my fifteen seconds of fame right now. <laughs> nice. Um, What's your name? Natalia. I'm from Chile. And if I had to go for a combination of beer and food, it would be like this Belgian beer. It's called Golden Drac with chocolate. Golden Drac, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah. it. It's yeah, my favorite. Yeah. What was the food? What? Chocolate. Chocolate. And golden Drac. Right. Yeah, yeah, really simple, but it goes beautiful, so well. Beautiful. Tell you what, if you come Perfect. to the bar at Roberta's 5 o'clock on a Tuesday, you can come on the show anytime you want. Yeah. All right? <laughs> hey, let's do a mead Just show soon, too. Okay, we got to get, get the mead in, in the Coming play, up okay? in April, with, with, uh, and Justin's going to make it happen with Chad and Raphael and uh, some other guys, <laughs> but mead show. I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Chris, Chad, Daniel, Heather, and our friend from Chile for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, intern Hillary Fazen, and our engineer, David Tadisher. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.